Well, it is my privilege to welcome all of you today to Orchard Church. also want to welcome those that are joining us online. We are in week three of our series called Awake, where we are talking about the afterlife. If you haven't already, go ahead and take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, turn to the Gospel of Luke there in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at an incredible story there in just a little bit. As you're finding your way there this morning, uh, let me just kind of catch you up, a review of some of the things we've talked about in this series. Uh, if you've missed any of this, be sure to go online. You can catch up there. Uh, but last week, we talked about three things that happen to everyone when this life is over, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever in Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us there's going to be a point where our physical body is going to die, and then our soul is going to separate from our physical body and going to be in one of two places, and then we're going to face one of two judgments. One of these judgments, uh, we want to be a part of them. One of them, we do not want to be a part of. We talked about these last week. Uh, one of those is the judgment seat of Christ. We believe that it's for believers. The other is the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. You don't want to be at that one. Last week, we primarily focused on what happens to the soul of the believer that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Today, we're primarily, primarily going to focus on what happens to unbelievers that have not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, next week, you don't want to miss it. Um, of course, it's Mother's Day weekend next weekend, and we're going to be talking about the hope of heaven as believers. It's it's going to build our faith. It's going to be incredibly encouraging. And as we were putting this series together, originally we were going to talk about heaven today, and then we we're going to talk about the horrors of hell next week. And we realized it's Mother's Day. You cannot talk about the horrors of hell on Mother's Day. And so we swapped those. You're welcome, ladies. Okay, we did that for you. So we're going to talk about the horrors of hell today and the hope of heaven next week. You don't want to miss that. And then we decided, kind of on the fly, to do something a little different. We're actually going to add an extra week to this series, the week after Mother's Day, we're going to have a fifth week and we're going to answer your questions because we know there have been a lot of questions raised throughout this series and we haven't been able to go in depth to all those. So we're going to answer those questions on week five. Um, you can go to our Facebook page. If you haven't liked our Facebook page, make sure you like it because that's where you're going to be able to put your questions in and we're going to take as many of those as we can on week five. And it's going to be super practical. You don't want to miss that. But today we are talking about the horrors of hell. And as I told you last week, if you were here, this is probably one of the most difficult and challenging messages maybe I've ever had to deliver here at Orchard Church because we're talking about the justice of our holy God and the indescribable horrors of hell. This is not an easy message to talk about. And I just want to share my heart to, to just begin uh, today a little bit about this and, and what God has laid on my heart. I wish I could tell you today that the things we're going to read in the Bible um, aren't really true, that they're just made up, that these are just fables, uh, but we believe they are true. Our number one value here at Orchard Church is this value. We always ask the question, what does the Bible say? And here at Orchard, we believe that the Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, perfect word of God. God, and that it is all true. And I know that as a pastor, I one day have to stand before God to give an account of if I've been honest with the truth of Scripture. And I also um, believe that we need to talk about the subject today because God loves people. And, and I love people, and we want them to know the truth about this, this horrible place so that nobody has to go there and we can put our faith and trust in Christ. But I pray today that I can balance grace and truth as we attempt to do every week here at Orchard Church, being completely like Jesus, full of grace, but full of truth. And you know, God's timing is always so interesting and in how he can sometimes just sort of do something to encourage us and pat us on the back. And as I was preparing for this message, this came across Facebook on our Facebook 
Facebook page yesterday afternoon. And as you know, we've been putting our services online and people have been watching literally all over the country and all over the world. And this lady wrote in and she said, Pastor Doug, enjoying your messages here in Germany. Encouragement to stay in the word and to experience the unlimited access we have to the very throne room of God our Father. What a privilege. I love that at Orchard Church, the word of God takes center stage every week. Can we just uh, praise God for that? That's a great testimony. I, I needed that this week. I needed to hear that encouragement. And I appreciate those of you that have been praying for me as I prepared to deliver this message. But you, you may be wondering today, if, you, if you're a guest or you're new to church or new to Orchard, why would we talk about the horrors of hell? And here is why we would talk about this subject. Because if we don't fully accept the reality of hell, we can never fully appreciate the goodness of our great God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has done to deliver us from this place that he offers to everyone. So I just wanna open up today in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just pray today that as we approach your word, we would do it with grace and truth and Lord, that we would understand that the great links that you went to, to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay for our sins, the penalty of our sins being death, that you remove that through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not said yes to you in faith, today would be the day of their salvation and that they would walk out of here. Nobody would walk out of here afraid or scared of hell, but we would walk out of here rejoicing and praising our good and gracious and amazing God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. I, I don't know when the first time for you was that maybe you heard about this place called hell. I know some of us grew up in church. Some of us did not. I did grow up in church. And I don't, I don't specifically remember the very first time, but I remember a couple of times I was in this uh, ministry in our church as a kid growing up. If you're from the church background, maybe some of you know about this. And it was kind of a Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts for church kids. It was called Awana. How many of you guys have ever heard of Awana? Um, it comes from uh, the scripture, 2 Timothy. 215. It stands for approved workman or not ashamed. I said Awana, not marijuana. Okay, let's make sure you guys heard that right. And so I was in this, this thing called Awana, you know, when I was about eight, nine, ten years old growing up. And I remember a couple of different times they would have a speaker that would talk to us as kids. And this speaker would, uh, at the end of the message, have us bow our heads, close our eyes, and he would ask the question, you know, if you today uh, know for sure that you're going to go to heaven, would you raise your hand? And so, you know, kids would raise their hand. He said, now, some of you weren't able to raise your hand. And if you weren't able to raise your hand today, you don't know for sure if when you die, you're going to go to heaven, then that means you're going to go to hell and it's going to be burning and it's going to be fire and it's going to be torment and it's going to be horrible. And I remember as an eight-year-old thinking, you're trying to scare the hell out of me and you're doing a pretty good job. And I want to get the hell out of here right now. So I don't, I don't know what it was like for you, but you know, we're, we're gonna talk about this, this subject today. And, and why are we doing this series, Awake? Why are we talking about the afterlife? Here's really the theme of this whole series, why we're doing this. You have this in your notes, and I hope you'll take some notes today. Because what we believe about eternity determines how we live today. What, what you and I believe about eternity and the afterlife is going to determine how we live our daily lives today, uh, and especially on this subject of hell. Um, statistics tell us this, that 74% of Americans believe in a place called heaven. 
We, we like that. But only about 40% of Americans believe that there is a real literal place called hell where unbelievers that have rejected Jesus Christ will actually go. And only one half of 1%, 0.5% of people believe they themselves will actually go to hell someday. Uh, most people believe that hell is just reserved for the worst of the worst, the murderers, the rapists, uh, the people that drive the speed limit in the passing lane on a four-lane highway. Yeah, they're going to hell for sure, okay? I'll just throw that in there. That's probably, you're probably not gonna find that in the Bible anywhere, right? But, but so we have all these different beliefs about heaven and hell, but it really doesn't matter what we believe. It only matters what the Bible says and what Jesus has said because he only speaks truth. And listen to these powerful words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, verse 13. He said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow. You can only get to God's kingdom through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. It's broad. And its gate is wide for the what church? For the many who choose that way. He goes on to say, but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only, how many church? Only a few ever find it. That ought to get our attention. Those are the words of Jesus I believe we could trust Jesus. And Jesus basically said this, there are many people who are on the wrong road. They think they're on the road to heaven, but they're really on the road to hell. They're on the wrong road. And if I were Satan, if I were the devil, you know, I think what I would try to do is to convince people there's really no such place as hell. That's just a fable, that's just made up. If I were the devil, I would try to convince people that even if there is a hell, it's not really that big a deal. You don't need to take it very seriously. God's gonna work it all out in the end. It's really nothing that we need to be concerned about or, or worry about. If, if I were the devil, I would try to deceive people in that way. And that's exactly what Satan has tried to do. And as a result of that, there are a lot of people that are just living however they wanna live, uh, they justify their lifestyle. Um, it doesn't really matter if they reject Christ or accept Christ, if there's really not a, a hell or any penalty uh, for our sins. Uh, there's no reverence and fear of God. And even as believers in Jesus Christ, if the devil can convince us that hell maybe exists, but it's really not that serious and not that big a deal, then we really don't need to live on mission to help people find and follow Jesus because it's all going to be okay in the end. If, if, if I'm the devil, I'm gonna to try to convince people that hell doesn't exist or it's not that big a deal. But according to the Bible, it does exist. It's a real, literal place. Which brings us to this question, why? Why does hell exist in the first place if we have such a loving and gracious God? Let me give you two biblical reasons if you're taking notes. The first reason why hell exists is, is because of this, according to the Bible. Hell exists for God to deal justly with Satan. Hell exists to deal justly with Satan. That's what hell was created for. It was created to, to punish the devil, Satan. Now, when we sometimes tend to think of Satan or the devil, we think of this guy in a red suit, pitchfork and horns, and we kind of make light of him. But we need to understand that Satan, the devil, is the embodiment of all evil. He doesn't just do bad things and evil things, he is evil. He is the origination of evil. The, the devil, Satan, is behind every addiction. He's behind every form of abuse, fear, pain, and shame. 
He's behind all of it. And as you go through the Bible, um, God gives him all these different titles for us to understand who we're dealing with. When we talk about our enemy, Satan, the devil, he's called the destroyer in the Bible. He, he wants to destroy us. He's called the deceiver. He's called the dragon. He's called the dark angel. He's called the serpent or the, the snake. I know if you've come to Orchard Church for a little bit of time, you think that Pastor Doug hates cats. Okay, I don't hate cats and I, I don't hate uh, cat owners and cat lovers. I just don't want one, okay? I just don't want one, but I do hate snakes. Anybody else like me, you hate snakes? I hate snakes, I hate serpents. Every time I see a snake, I just think, Satan. I mean, it just wigs me out. He's called a serpent, he's called a snake. In other places in the Bible, he's called our adversary. He's not our friend, he's not our buddy. Um, he's called our enemy, he's a tempter. He's called the wicked one, the thief. He wants to take all the good out of our life. He's called the father of lies, the prince of darkness, the angel of the abyss. Um, in one area of the scripture, don't miss this, it describes Satan like a roaring lion. And like a roaring lion, he goes about the earth seeking who he can devour and who he can take out and take down. That, that's, that's Satan. And because I want to be honest and true to the scriptures, I don't want anybody to miss this. Uh, in the Bible, he's described like a roaring lion. Lions come from the feline family, which is where we get the cats. And so I just want to see if you guys are paying attention. I'm just, just trying to help you out, all right? Just trying to help you out. Listen, when you're talking about the horrors of hell, there's got to be some levity, right? But here's what Jesus said about Satan. He said, listen, he's a thief, and the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants nothing good for our life. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill our faith. He wants to destroy our health. He wants to ruin our finances. He wants to obliterate our marriages and families. He wants to control our kids. But here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we've read the end of this book. We win and Satan loses and Satan gets taken out and Satan gets defeated and Satan gets what he deserves. Hell exists for God to deal justly with Satan. Here's a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. It says, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. He goes on to say, there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Why does hell exist? First of all, hell exists for God to deal justly with Satan. And I wish I could just stop there and tell you that's the end of it. That's the only reason it exists. But I wouldn't be honest and true to the scriptures if I stopped there. There's another reason that hell exists. And you have this in your notes. Hell also exists for God to deal justly with unbelievers those that have rejected faith in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know as I say that, we tend to think, but that's not fair. You've probably thought that at times in your life. I've thought that at times in my life. As I studied for this, is this right? Is this fair? That doesn't seem fair that God could or would send good people to hell. Now, I want to come back to that thought about good people, but we think it's not fair that God would send people to hell or allow people to go to hell. I mean, after all, I mean, we probably have that neighbor that we'd say, man, they're a good neighbor. They're a good person. They don't know Jesus. Um, they're not a Christian. They, they, don't, they don't go to church. They, they wouldn't say that they're a Christ follower, but they're a good person. I mean, when I'm out of town, they mow my yard. They watch my dog. Nobody wants to watch your cat, okay? Uh, 
I said I was only going to have one cat joke, and I slipped another one in there. My bad, all right? Um, you know, they're a good, they're, they're, not, they're not a Christ father, they're not a Christian, but they make amazing Christmas cookies. And at Christmas, they always bring us these amazing Christmas cookies. I mean, God couldn't send someone to hell that makes great Christmas cookies. It just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. But think with me for just a moment. The same people that would say, that's not fair, God. That's not fair. That that hell can't exist for God to deal justly with unbelievers. Those same people are indignant when it comes to injustice in this world today. We look at injustice in this world today and we say, we want justice. If someone wrongs someone else, someone needs to pay. We believe in justice, don't we, church? You know, we just had this horrific accident that took place on I-70, and now some of the details of this accident is coming out, and it it appears that possibly there was a mechanical failure with the brakes, and the guy didn't do this intentionally, but you know, other people say, well, he could have stopped earlier, and there's all this debate, but you know what people are crying out for? Even if it was an accident, we want justice. Somebody needs to pay for the lives that were lost. And what's amazing, think about this, is the same people that argue that they they want a God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, but they want that God without justice. And it doesn't work that way. You see, you and I, we cannot remake God the way we want to make him that makes sense to us or or that is tolerable to us or reasonable to us. And sometimes people say things, you you know, come on, I mean, it's... Really, that God would do that? I mean, can't God just overlook sin? Can't God just wink at sin? It's it's really not that big a deal. It's all good, ain't no thing. But to God, it is a thing. And here's the truth. It is impossible for God to be holy without being just. It's impossible for God to be holy and perfect without being just. And here's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. He, Jesus, will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And that might be the worst part of hell of everything, to be forever separated from the presence of of God, from the presence of the, of the Lord. And, and again, I, I know this is not a fun subject to talk about, it's not a fun subject to, to listen to, but I'll say it again, if we don't accept the reality of the horrors of hell, we can never fully embrace and appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. What I wanna do now is I want us to look at a story in Luke chapter 16 where I ask you to turn. And this is a parable. Uh, what is a parable? Jesus is telling the story, this parable. A parable is an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. And in this story, Jesus is gonna give us a glimpse of hell. There's a lot of things we don't know and don't fully understand about heaven and hell, but this is a pretty good uh, glimpse and an idea of it. And there's a lot of different various beliefs. We're not going to be able to go into all the details today. Again, you can ask your questions. Week five, we'll answer those. I've also given you guys some further resources. If you want to go a little deeper, dig a little deeper. Um, you know, don't just make what, what you hear of God's word on the weekend here at Orchard Church. Uh, go home, read, be like the Bereans and Acts and study it out for yourself. I've given you some resources. The book that we talked about last week, 
week. Um, One Minute After You Die by Erwin Lutzer. Um, GotQuestions.org is a great resource um, to get biblical answers. I'm also giving you YouVersion Bible app. It's free. You can download it on your phone and all of everything is free on there. All of the Bible reading plans. I gave you a couple of seven-day Bible reading plans about this subject if you want to dig a little bit deeper. But let's let's get this glimpse of what's going on in this story, this glimpse of hell as, as two people are going to die in this story and they're both going to come awake and in eternity and one is going to be in one place and one is going to be in the other place. One of these people is a rich man and one of them is a poor man on earth. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that if you're rich, you get to go to this place and if you're poor, you get to go to this place. It's not about rich and poor. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. But the reason he's using these two people as an illustration is because the religious leaders he was talking to and trying to get their attention believed if you had a whole lot of money, you're probably going to go to heaven. And if you were poor and didn't have anything, you're probably going to go to hell. And he flips it all upside down. And watch what happens in, in this parable. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Now, when Jesus would have said he had purple and fine linen, that would have connected with his audience and they would have understood how rich he was. It doesn't make as much sense to us today what, what that means, but purple was a sign of royalty. Only the very rich would wear purple. Linen was very costly. I uh, read one commentary that said uh, a piece of clothing that had linen could cost some people a year's salary. And so to put this in context for us today, what, what he was saying is this rich guy, this bro was like, like Kardashian rich, all right? I mean, does that help? You know, if you, you know you're rich when you're Kardashian rich. He's like, this rich guy, this dude guy, I mean, he was Kardashian rich, and he was, you know, all decked out, all pimped out, and all of his rich clothing, all right? And then in verse 20, it says, at his gate lay a what, what kind of man, church? A poor man named Lazarus. Now, this is not the same Lazarus we talked about last week that Jesus rose from the dead. Different guy named Lazarus. This was a popular name during Jesus' time, kind of like, you know, John or Mike or something like that today. And so at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Can we just go, ooh, that's just kind of gross, pretty descriptive. Verse 22, finally the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham, watch this, at the heavenly banquet. So he's in a place like heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, but he went to a different place. And he went to the place of the dead. Two different places. When their physical bodies died, just like we talked about last week, their souls separated from the body and they were in two different places. Uh, this rich man that died was in the place of the dead. Um, in the Greek, this is the word Hades. In the Hebrew, it's the word Sheol in the Old Testament. Jesus called it Gehenna or just hell. In Colorado language, we would call this Pueblo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had to live there for a couple of years, so I... I speak from experience. And I don't have time to go into all the details of this theologically, but, but evidently this place of the dead was a temporary place uh, that, that people would go and do go that until they face their final judgment at the great white throne judgment, and then they will be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and his demons. It would be kind of like this. When somebody commits a crime today, uh, they send them to jail and they await a trial, and then they're put on trial, and then when the judgment is made, they go back to jail, but now it's called prison. I, either way, it's bad. You don't, you don't want to be in this place. He goes on in verse 23 and says, that for this rich guy that went to the place of the dead, they're in torment. 
He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. He was in a different place. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his tongue or dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is being what, church? He is being comforted and you are in anguish two very different places and besides there is a great chasm separating us these two places no one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there and we get a glimpse of this place of unspeakable anguish and torment in other places in the Bible, hell is described as a place that is like a fiery furnace. It is a place of burning sulfur. It says it's a place where people uh, are experiencing weeping and gnashing of teeth. Maybe you've heard some of the songs like I have that sometimes there's songs out there about people dying and they say, well, if I, if I die, I wanna go to hell. I wanna hang out with buddies and there's just gonna be a big party in hell. It's gonna be anything but a party. The Bible says it's a place of complete isolation. Um, it's gonna be a place of darkness. It's gonna be a place of suffering. Jesus closes out this parable in this glimpse of hell in verse 27. It says, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him, Lazarus, to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And let me just say this right here. That reminds us of the power of God's word. We have God's word. And God's spirit to speak to us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He says they can read the Bible and they have a decision to make. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, again, the word of God, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And what the rich man realized was the opportunity to say, to say yes or no to Jesus is now. It's now, we don't get a second chance later in eternity. It's now, before it's eternally too late. You have this in your notes. There are four powerful lessons from this parable uh, that we get from the other side. If you're taking notes, number one, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. He was awake in eternity. He had memory, he had pain, he had regret. There's some beliefs out there today about hell that it's a place that you'll go for a little bit and then you're just gonna burn up and be annihilated and you won't even know where you are. Or it's a place of soul sleep. It's, that's not what the Bible says. I mean, the rich man was fully conscious and aware of where he was at. And number two, what we see from the story is the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. Abraham said, you can't come over here, we can't come over there. Your eternity is irrevocably fixed. Number three, the rich man knew that his suffering was just. He knew his suffering was just. He complained about his pain and his suffering. He complained about wanting to help his brother, but he never complained that what was happening to him was unjust. He never said, this isn't fair. He knew his suffering was just. And number four, the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers to know Jesus. He begged and pleaded. You see, the rich man realized what we believe today about eternity should affect and determine how we live. And if he could go back, he would have lived differently. He would have made different decisions about faith in Christ. We don't know if he, he had never heard about Jesus or he didn't know about hell or he heard and he disregarded. But he's like, if I could go back and do it again, I would do it different. I can't go back, but would somebody talk to my brothers so they don't end up in this place? 
And again, we hear this, we read about this, we get this glimpse of this, the horrors of hell. And, and our culture would say, but that's not fair. I know this is so counterculture. This is so hard for us to wrap our, our minds around. And we say, that's, that's not fair, that, that good people could end up in hell. But as we study the scriptures, and if we're honest with the truth of scriptures, the idea that there are good people is a misnomer. According to the Bible, there are no good people outside of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not a good person without Jesus. You're not a good person without Jesus. There are no such thing as good people. That's what the Bible says. In Romans 3.10, it says, there are none of us that are right with God without Jesus. No, not one of us. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned at some point in our life, and because of that, we fall short of God's glorious standard. You know what God's standard is? Perfection. Has anybody obtained that? I know I haven't. And that's why we need a savior. That's why we need a man named Jesus that came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life and died in our place and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You see, here's what I believe at the end of the day, God doesn't really send people to hell. It's my sin, it's our sins that send people to hell. It's sin. God is holy and just and he must punish sin. But listen church, he's not just just. He's also love. He's also love. And this is where we turn the corner to some really good news. He's not just holy and just. He is also love. He, he doesn't just love. He is love. It, just like Satan is the embodiment of evil, God is the embodiment of love. Romans 6.23 says, the payment of our sin is death. That's the debt we owed because of our sin. And God's justice will be served. Somebody's got to die. That's, but that's not the end of that verse. The payment of our sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is amazing news. That is the best news. That's why the gospel is called good news. And I want you to hear this verse as if you're hearing it for the first time in your life. Although some of you have heard this hundreds of times. But hear it from God himself me as the mouthpiece in light of the horrors of hell. Here's the alternative. For God so loved the world, that includes all of us, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Now that wasn't fair. He sent his one and only son to die for us and that whoever would believe in him will not perish in a place called hell, will we'll have everlasting eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We don't have to fear this place. God has rescued us from this place. God has delivered us from this place through faith in Christ. He, he has set us free from our sins. Romans 5, 8, and 9, Paul said it this way, but God showed his great love for us. It's one thing to say we love someone. It's another thing to show it. God showed it. He displayed it. How did he show his great love for us? By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners destined for hell. And he says this, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We do not have to fear hell. 
We do not have to fear death. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave that we could have everlasting life. He set us free. But we have a choice to make, and the choice is ours. To say yes or to say no to faith in Christ. Francis Chan wrote a book called Erasing Hell because a lot of people are trying to erase hell. And here's what he said in this book. Ultimately, thoughts of God should lead to joy because those same thoughts designed the cross, the place where righteousness and wrath kiss. I love that. You see, Jesus' death, don't miss this, paid our sin debt in full, satisfying God's justice. That is because of the goodness, the grace, and the love, and the mercy of our good God. He has set us free. He has rescued us. He has delivered us. He has redeemed us. That's why our mission here at Orchard Church is and will always be helping people find and follow Jesus, our Savior. Not just so we can avoid hell. Not just so we can give people a get-out-of-hell-free card but so people can experience the redemption, the goodness, the grace, the love, a relationship with the God of this universe, our creator, and that we could experience eternal life in heaven with him that we're gonna talk about next week, forever and forever and forever. And I'll say it again, when we understand the horrors of hell, then we can more fully appreciate the goodness of our great God and his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know where all of you are today spiritually. I don't know if you're a believer or not. Maybe you're just kind of exploring faith. You're checking out church and we're so glad that you're here and we will meet you right where you are in your spiritual journey and we'll point you to Jesus. And maybe some of you, this has been my prayer leading up to this message. Maybe some of you are right standing on the edge of faith. And today would be the day that you'd take that step of faith. You'd take that leap and you would, you would invite Jesus into your life. And let me just share one last thought with you from the scriptures. Hear this from God's heart. The Bible says this, that our God is not willing that anybody should perish and go to a place called hell, but that everyone should come to the truth of the gospel, the knowledge of truth, that faith in Jesus can change everything. We don't have to fear death and hell. We don't have to fear it when we know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to your word today, that we would not, not walk out of here in fear, but we walk out of here in faith, knowing what you have delivered us from and you have saved us from and that you have redeemed us from. And may we thank you and praise you for that and if there's anyone here today that has not made that decision, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. As we continue an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ and you'd say, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven someday. Would you just right now just begin to thank God for saving you, for forgiving you of your sins, for the hope and the assurance of heaven and what he's delivered you from? But at the same time, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you might be like that rich man and you would say, you know what, I know someone that still needs Jesus. There's somebody in my sphere of influence, a, a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker that doesn't know Jesus. 
And I wanna live on mission. I wanna help them define and follow Jesus. Maybe there's that one in your life. That's our theme this year, for the one. Jesus said if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and if he has one of them that gets lost, he'll leave the 99 for the one that is lost. How many of you with heads bowed and eyes closed would say there's somebody in my life right now that I desperately wanna see come to faith in Jesus and I wanna be able to live on mission the best I can to tell them about Jesus, to tell them about what he's done in my life, to invite them to a series here at Orchard Church so they can hear the gospel. If you have that person in your life, can you just slip up your hand? Can I pray for you right now? Can we pray for that one in your life? Amen, there's hands everywhere. You can put them down. I wanna pray for us. And would you just bring that person's name to the forefront of your heart and mind right now? Heavenly Father, we pray for those in our life that don't know you. We pray that you would open doors of opportunity for us to share what you've done in our life with them so that they can come to know you as Lord and Savior, that they could be saved and they could be rescued and they could be delivered. And Lord, uh, we, we just pray that we would live on mission in, in that way and not miss those opportunities that are, are around us. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for sending your son to die for us so that we could be delivered from a place called hell, that we don't have to spend eternity there. We can spend eternity with you in heaven. As we continue in an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you would say, I, I don't know for sure, without a doubt, that I'm gonna go to heaven someday. I want to, I hope I will, but I'm not sure. Listen, today, God does not offer you judgment. God does not offer you hell. God offers you salvation. He offers you love and grace and forgiveness, but the choice is yours. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer of faith out loud. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, anyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from punishment. Saved from judgment. Saved from being separated from the presence of God for all eternity. All you have to do is call on him in faith. One of the ways we call on the Lord is just through prayer. And I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. It's not a magic prayer. These aren't magic words that we say, but if you'll say them from a heart of faith and belief, you can invite Jesus into your life today. Whether you're sitting in this service, or you're watching online, if that's you and you're, you're ready to say, I wanna know for sure that I have a relationship with God through Jesus. I wanna know for sure that heaven is my home. Would you pray this prayer of faith from your heart to God's right now where you sit? And it goes like this, Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I want to know you. I want to follow you. Come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you. Thank you. We continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around for a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time, I would love, love the privilege to pray for you. So without anyone else looking around, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand so I can pray for you, that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this point forward. If you're watching online, just let us know online so we can be praying for you. One, two, three. Did you pray that prayer? Would you slip up your hand for prayer across the auditorium? If you prayed it, God bless you, sir, right here. Yes, God bless you on my left. God bless you, sir, right down front. Amen. Anyone else? Just slip it up so I can see your hand. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith to invite. Yes, God bless you right here on my right. Amen. Several. God bless you in the back. Yes, thank you. Amen several people. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we lift up all those today that are saying yes to you in faith. Lord, we are so grateful. We celebrate their decision. We welcome them into the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may we leave here today full of faith and hope 
knowing what you have provided for us, eternal life and salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we are no longer separated from you, but we are part of your family. We are now a child of God forever and ever and all eternity, and that we remember that when you died on the cross and you stretched out your arms and you paid for our sins, you said, it is finished. It is paid for in full, and we give you praise for that today. We pray all this is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate right now the goodness of God? Saying yes to Jesus is the biggest decision you can ever make. We've created this booklet to help you with your next steps. So if you prayed that prayer, let us know by emailing us your address to yes at orchard.church, and we'll send you a copy.